narcissism, and self-fixation. The great pitfall of finding oneself is the pitfall of narcissism and self-centeredness. Danger of seeing it all revolving around yourself and for yourself. But if we can understand the real meaning of finding oneself, if we see that find oneself happens not when it is our conscious aim, but when we lose ourself and are found, as St. Paul says, in Christ. There are two aspects to finding oneself. Losing oneself and finding that we are found. Realizing, feeling that we are found in something greater and more expansive than we could ever call myself. The whole idea of self changes when self-knowledge really begins to happen. This gospel insight is of great importance and urgency for our time when we have sunk so deep into a culture of narcissism and self-fixation. An exaggerated self-importance linked at the same time to a very low self-esteem and insecurity. In that narcissistic state, we're constantly having to assert and to convince ourselves and others, and it becomes embarrassingly transparent if you're a public figure, that I am legitimate, that I am great, that I am the best person in this room. And this self-absorption is an absorption in a kind of personality or in a kind of self that is tragically weak, fragile, and volatile. Culturally, it begins to form a new kind of barbarism because it absorbs so much of our psychic energy. It involves eventually losing the historical perspective of our own lives or of the culture and a fear, a loss of belief in the continuity of our lives or our work or our families. The terror of living in the moment in the wrong way. There are two ways that you can live in the moment, what we call the present moment. The one is the contemplative way, and you're touching into and living in this continuum of being, this continuum of consciousness in the spirit, in God, in every moment, going up or down, whether things are good or bad on the surface, you know that you are held in the spirit, held in God, in Christ, we would say. But there's another kind of false, cheap, and dangerous being in the present, which is an episodic consciousness. We just jump, flit from one frame of reality to the next. If you played them all at the right speed, looked, they looked like one continuous movement, but actually they were made up of individual snapshots where we just flit or jump from one to the other, but we lack the feeling of the flow. In this narcissistic state, we also lose our boundaries because the narcissistic self wants to absorb everything 
and to be the center of everything. To want to be the center of everything is a great human delusion, delusion of, of Lucifer. To want to be like God. Only God has no boundaries. Only God is the center of everything. God is that whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. But if we think of ourselves or feel ourselves like this, we are deluded and dangerous. It's a pathological state, a mental illness. You might end up in a psychiatric ward or you might end up as a serial killer or mass murderer. You might end up as a, a, a dictator of a, of a society. We need boundaries in order to move beyond them into the boundless. The purpose of, of finding oneself is to move from a world in which we are the center of reality, think we are the center of reality, to the real world, which is God, which is truly boundless. In this narcissistic state, crisis is continuous. We're always in crisis. We know no peace. And that's a characteristic of our time. Crisis is the new normal. It's almost becoming boring. What's the latest crisis? The media, of course, works it up, but it's the mentality of our time. It's partly caused by the fact that the rate of change is accelerating and we don't know how to keep up with it and we can't control it. So there is a real crisis, but there is no human-generated crisis that we cannot solve. It's a human problem. Human beings can solve it. But if we get caught up in this crisis mentality, then we, we end up losing our peace, losing our clarity, losing our ability to deal with real situations that demand our attention. And another aspect of the narcissistic personality, finding oneself for the wrong reason or finding oneself looking for oneself in the wrong way, is that the purpose of life gets lost. And increasingly, the purpose of life becomes survival. Just survive. Live as long as you can, regardless of the quality of your life. The majority of the costs of health care are devoted to the very last stages of life. That's when you become really expensive. You know, a lot of people are making money out of it, of course. Pharmaceutical companies and medical professions and medical institutions, they make a lot of money out of this. But it becomes increasingly unsustainable and unjust because that money could be given, could be spread out. The imbalance of the way we allocate our resources is what's being exposed here. And behind that loss of values and inverted values is the loss of a sense of the, the goal of life, both the individual and for the species. So that it becomes just about survival, if you can afford it, rather than about living one's term of life to the full. So this is something of what I think the general context of what finding ourself might mean. We can't look for it as if it was something or someone other than ourselves. Just as we cannot know God as if God were an object, 
so we cannot know ourselves, look at ourselves, think about ourselves as if we were an object of our own perception. So finding ourself begins with de-objectifying ourselves. And how do we de-objectify ourselves? Very simply, when we stop thinking about ourselves. We take the attention off ourselves. And that's why meditation is so simple, so radical, and why the moment you sit down to meditate, you have started the journey of self-knowledge. And you are beginning to make this work of self-discovery, of finding oneself a true value in your life, and therefore all the other values in your life will begin to be reset, reframed, repositioned, reprioritized. That's why you'll begin to realize that things are changing in your life. They're changing in your life in the sense that there are things you want to do more of and things you want to do less of. And that will set up some tensions in you because you may have been doing some of these wasteful, time-wasting things for 30 years. They've become very ingrained habits. So you have to decide, you know, and struggle maybe with whether that's what you really want. No one's telling you. You're telling yourself. You're listening to the truth of your own self surging up in you and saying, this is actually how things are. You're wasting a lot of your time on this or that. And your values are a little bit inverted, a little bit distorted. And you actually, you have an opportunity now, if you want to take it, to start to straighten things out, whatever age you may be. So all we have to do is to begin the journey. Of course, then you have to keep on beginning. But even to begin is introducing into the picture of your life a new source of light, a new perspective or a new element. So we can't look for ourselves as if we were something other than ourselves. When we come close, if you like, to our self, it's much more simple than it sounds, as we become who we are, it isn't that we gain anything, we actually lose a lot of things. We lose our self-consciousness. We lose our sense of duality, of separation, which brings with it loneliness and alienation and conflict. We lose these things. We lose the sense of distance between ourselves and the world, or the distance between ourselves and others. The Buddha was asked at the end of his life, what did you get out of meditation? And he said, nothing. And then he said, but I lost a lot. And this is what Jesus means, I, I think, by poverty of spirit. If we think of meditation as something we're doing, some consumer product that we are, we are buying, people like to buy meditation, because then it's a product that they are owning. When we were teaching meditation, I went with Father John back in the late 70s to visit a 
quite well-known secular meditation teacher in London who invited us over. He said, oh, I'm really delighted to hear that the church is teaching meditation now. He said, how are you doing it? So we described it. And then he said, well, that's fantastic. He said, that's exactly what it is. He said, but you made a big mistake. He said, first of all, you're making it sound as simple as it is. And people will never believe it. So you have to complicate it. <laughs> complicate it, and then introduce the simple truth at the right moment. And he said, in order to do that, you've got to get people hooked. And the way to get them hooked is charge them. <laughs> the more they pay, the more they will be engaged or committed. Well, it wasn't John Main's way <laughs> of teaching meditation, so it hasn't become ours. But one can see the reasoning behind that approach. I think it's deeply flawed because it's using the wrong means. The means have to be consistent with the end, and these, these means eventually become self-defeating, self-contradictory.